Now, he was generous because his usual introduction is not that way. His usual introduction is like this. How many of you know my dad? And all across the congregation, people raise their hands. And he says, I have good news and bad news. Especially when he's getting ready to speak. He'll say, the bad news is I'm only half as good. But the good news is I'm only half as long as my daddy. So that's his (laughs) usual introduction. It's a joy to be here. How many of you were here last night? I got out the magic marker. I feel like taking my shoe off and throwing it tonight. And, and uh, after that message, I think I feel somewhat like Charlie Brown. He and Linus and Lucy were lying on their backs on a grassy hillside and looking up into the blue sky with all the clouds. And Lucy looks at Linus and says, Linus, what do you see? And he said, oh, Lucy, I see the inside of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And I see da Vinci's paintings all across the top of that ceiling. What do you see, Lucy? And she said, I see Hannibal and his army and his elephants marching across the Alps to conquer. And they said, Charlie Brown, what do you see? And he said, well, I was going to say a doggy and a horsey, but it somehow doesn't seem very appropriate. And I think probably I feel that way after that masterpiece of a message last night. I've had a, a message ever since uh, your superintendent, our superintendent, asked me to speak. But after that, I, I'm not sure how appropriate it is anymore. But I'm going to try. Aren't you glad that the name of Jesus is like ointment poured forth? Soothes, heals, cleanses, refreshes, revives. Thank God for his name, buddy. Jesus is what we need. I want to read just a couple of verses of Scripture in the book of Judges in chapter 13 and verse 5. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 7. But he said unto me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. I want you to notice that. That is an addition. The angel said that he would be a distinguished deliverer from his birth. But his mother says he will be a distinguished deliverer from his birth until the day that he dies. Judges chapter 16 and verse 30 simply says, And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. Remember what he says in Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. A dimly burning flax he will not extinguish. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will not put out even a weak flame. 
And in Joel chapter 2 and verse 28, you remember what Joel said. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. But when Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost, he changes the word afterward to last days. And it shall come to pass, saith God, in the last days, afterward, at the end, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Enough fuel to make it home. Enough fuel to make it home. Well, the lady was on her way home from a busy day. She had rushed about doing all of her daily duties from one place to another and being distracted by those daily pressures and those deadlines, now she's simply going home. When all of a sudden, out of her peripheral vision, she sees it. The fuel light is blinking. And as she diverts her attention to that blinking light, she notices the needle on the fuel gauge is stuck on E. And immediately, hurriedly, she pulls into the nearest gas station, jumps out of the car, opens her purse, only to discover that in the hurriedness of her day, she has no money and no cards. And now the light is blinking, and the gauge is stuck on empty. And she simply wonders to herself, do I have enough fuel to make it home? Hurriedly calls the husband on the cell phone. Do you think I have enough fuel to make it home? Have you ever been there? I can remember traveling the back roads of West Oklahoma Conference in an old Ford, going to those late Sunday night services and and getting back in the Ford in those little rural communities. There were no on-cues and there were no 7-Elevens. And the service is over and everyone's departed and you jump in the car and all of a sudden you look down and the needle is almost on E and you're 40 miles from home and you take all the back roads and all the shortcuts and all along the way you're praying, oh God, help me to have enough fuel to make it all the way home. Sometimes we just run out. In fact, not long ago, I noticed on ESPN that the last two NASCAR races, somebody in the pit miscalculated the number of miles remaining in the race and the amount of fuel in their tank. And in two races in a row, the leader didn't have enough fuel to cross the finish line. Lost the race. And we understand that in the natural. But it is also true in the spiritual. We need enough fuel to make it home. Because every one of us know the admonition of God's Word, the Scripture. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, it's not empty. It's not to run out. Be not wearied in well-doing, for you shall reap in due season if you faint not, if you don't lose heart, if you don't run out of fuel. For the Apostle Paul warns us in the book of Hebrews that we must give the more earnest heed, lest at any time we let slip the things which we have heard. And he used a word picture. 
He used a word picture of a Greek, uh, uh, in a Greek language of a vessel. And they've taken that treasured possession, that fuel or that ointment, and they poured it in the vessel, and they didn't know that it had a fissure or a crack in it. And it leaks out one drop at a time so that when you go back to pick up the pitcher, there's no fuel left. It's empty. And he said, you have to be on guard lest we let slip and leak out the things which we've heard. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He said, you have to be on guard that you don't run out of fuel. Paul said, look, everyone in a race runs, but only one wins. But you are to run. We don't do it for a corruptible crown, but for an incorruptible crown. And he goes on to say, look, seeing we are compassed about with so many witnesses, we need to run with patience this race that is set before us. We must not run out of fuel. We must look to Jesus, who is the author, the originator, and the completer of our faith. And he said, I want you to to look to Jesus because notice what a contradiction of sinners that he received against himself. And yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the Christ, the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured that contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you also become wearied and faint in your mind and run out of fuel. For you have not yet striven unto blood, resisting sin. And so he says we have to constantly go forward We have to be sure that we don't run out of fuel before we reach the finish line. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians and Galatians, he lists five ways that keeps us from losing heart, from running out of fuel. He said we've been entrusted with the ministry so we don't lose heart. We've been endowed by the Holy Spirit so we don't run out of fuel. We've been endued with new strength so we don't stop. We are expecting a great harvest so we're not going to quit. And we're engrossed with the eternal. And so we don't run out of fuel. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I've never been disobedient under that heavenly vision. Henceforth there is a crown of righteousness that is laid up for me and not unto me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing, that won't run out of fuel. Because the problem is, throughout Scripture, we see those who ran out of fuel. Moses, on the backside of the desert of discouragement and delay, another 40 years lie in front of him, a ministry and a destiny to fulfill, but at that moment, he is depleted out of fuel, feeling sorry for himself. Or Elijah, back in the darkest, deepest cave that he can find, his mantle, that that symbolic mantle of his power and his ministry thrust aside, cast away from him, ran in the midst of the greatest revival the nation had ever seen, but he ran out of fuel. And he's in the darkness of discouragement. Peter, whose denial brings him to the seashore of Galilee and he takes the boat out of a dry dock and he returns to what Jesus called him away from. And now he's fished all night and he hasn't caught anything and he's run out of fuel and he's got an empty boat and an empty net and an empty heart out of fuel. The disciples, after the great manifestation of God on the day of Pentecost, 
And, and five years later, the healing of the lame man and, and all the manifestations of God. But now they're threatened not to teach or to preach. Go back to the upper room. They're almost out of you. The light's flashing. The needle is moving toward empty. What about John Mark who leaves Paul and Barnabas at Pamphylia and returns back and runs away from the work of God? Or Demas whom the Bible said, Paul said he's my fellow laborer, but now he hath forsaken me. He's departed back to Thessalonica. He's returned empty, run out of fuel. Paul speaks to his son in the Lord Timothy. And he says, I want you to make full proof of your ministry. That you would go forward so that you would not run out of fuel. Even Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, agonizing in the presence of his father, you do always hear me. Lord, if it be possible, let this cup be removed from me. Nevertheless, I'm about out of fuel. Not my will, thine be done. And it takes the angels to come to strengthen him so that he can go on to the cross. Oh, I say to you this evening, we as ministers and people in local churches are in jeopardy of running out of fuel. We're close to the finish line. We're close to the fulfillment of the destiny and the purpose of God. And yet so often... We don't have enough fuel to make it home. Listen, each year, 7,000 churches close. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year. Over 1,300 pastors were terminated by the local church each month last year, many without cause. 50% of the ministers starting out right now will not make it five years. 80% of pastors and 84% of their spouses feel unqualified and discouraged to the role of pastor they're supposed to be fulfilling. 50% feel unable to meet the demands of the job. 33% confess having been involved in an inappropriate sexual behavior with somebody in their own church. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry but they have no other way of making a living. And only one out of every present ten ministers will actually retire as a minister in some form. Running out of fuel. Do we have enough fuel to make it home? And so I think the best example of this is in this very familiar story about the life and the destiny of Samson. You all know the story. We're not in the book of Joshua because the book of Joshua is the book of triumph and deliverance and victory. It is Joshua under the power and the anointing of God conquering the land, dividing the land, giving them their inheritance. Six major times they win and drive out the enemy. But not the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book of defeat. For as our preacher said last night, the Lord said, drive them all out. Because if you don't drive out the Canaanite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, they will be a thorn in your flesh. And you'll find yourself beginning to, to assimilate into the culture around you. And before you know it, you will be serving them instead of them serving you. 
and 12 times, six major times, that's exactly what happens. And there is this constant cycle in the book of Judges. Israel sins against God. And their sin brings them into servitude and bondage to the Canaanite. And in the middle of their servitude, they make supplication. They intercede. They cry out to God. And out of that intercession and supplication, God raises up a savior, a champion, a judge, a deliverer, and he sets them free from their bondage. And the moment they're set free and the judge dies, they do the same thing over again. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel in that day. And because of that, they go right back into sin. And sin brings servitude. And servitude moves them to supplication. And they cry out to God. And God raises up another champion and a deliverer. And he delivers them out of the hand of their enemies. And they repeat it all over again. And so by the time you get to chapter 13, we're introduced to a lady and an angel. And the lady is pregnant with destiny. For Israel has been delivered into the hands of the Philistines for 40 long years. That's a generation to the Hebrew. That whole generation was in bondage to the enemy. And now the angel of the Lord appears to Manoah's wife. She just missed Manoah. We don't know her name. And the angel of the Lord says, look, you have been barren, but now you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and you are going to be pregnant with destiny. For conceived in you is a deliverer. Conceived in you is the instrument of God. Conceived within you is the purpose of God to deliver the people out of the hands of the Philistines. The angel's name was wonderful and awesome. And when Manoah asked him, are you the one that spoke to my life? He just simply said, you'll know me like this. I am. And she's going to bring forth this distinguished deliverer. And he'll have a destiny to defeat the enemy and to set the people of God free. And when you're pregnant with destiny, you live different. You will not drink any strong drink. You will not eat any unclean thing because you are pregnant with destiny. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When there is a purpose and a destiny conceived in you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not do what you've always done. You will not go where you've always gone. You will not dress like you've always dressed. You'll not live like you always lived. Oh, don't throw legalism out at me. We're about killed holiness by talking about legalism. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about love. That you're so in love with Jesus. That you're so conscious of the presence of the Holy Spirit that resides within you. That there is a destiny burning within your heart and a purpose of God about to be fulfilled in your life. You are pregnant. You're about to bring forth what the purpose and the will of God is. And you don't want anything or anyone to corrupt what God's about to do. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient or necessary. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any of them. Any man that hath this hope in Christ Jesus has purified himself. They that be Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections thereof. Oh, hallelujah. Any man that strives for the mastery, he does it in order 
according to the law in order that he might please the one he's striving for. If God's called you to be a soldier, then you do not entangle yourself in the affairs of this life that you might please the one that called you to be the soldier. When you're pregnant with destiny, you live right. You walk right. Amen. That's bouncing all the way up here because we don't preach holiness in our church anymore. We, we, we used to preach like, you know, people would get up and say, thank God I'm saved and he keeps me from sinning. And now we just say, well, thank God he's forgiven me of sins, but I sure got a lot of hang-ups. Well, it's time to get over your hang-ups. If the destiny, if the purpose of God is going to be fulfilled in your life, if you're pregnant with the purpose and the destiny of God, you're going to be different. You're going to live different. Well, I shout. That's good preaching. And so what did the angel say? A distinguished deliverer will be conceived and birthed out of you. And he will be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. From the day of his birth, he will be, he will be under the Nazarite vow. And so she rushes to tell Manoah, her husband. And when she's telling him, said an angel of the Lord who was wonderful and awesome appeared unto me. And he said, I'm going to conceive and bring forth a distinguished deliverer. And he will be a Nazarite from the day of his birth until the day he dies. Angel didn't say that. She prophesied that. And you know the story. She brings forth this child and she names him, well, what would you name him? Samson. Because that means distinguished deliverer. And the Bible said that he grew in favor. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord began to come upon him because he was a Nazarite he kept that vow of consecration from the day that he was born. Now, we're going to get back in that vow in just a minute. You, you just know the hair. We're going to get in all the vow. Don't you understand? Your destiny flows out of your dedication. Your destiny is accomplished out of your consecration. If you break your dedication and your consecration, you run out of fuel. And so the Spirit of the Lord begins to come upon him. Now, most of you think he looked like Hulk Hogan or Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, he looked just like you. I mean, if, if he had a six-pack or an eight-pack, everybody would know where his strength came from. But they couldn't figure out where his strength came from because he looked just like anybody else. But his strength came from his dedication. His power flowed out of his consecration to God. And the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and move him between the camps. And God's going to start that work of fulfilling the destiny, defeating the enemy, setting the people free. You know the story. He, he, he goes down to Timnath, to the camp of the Philistines, finds a beautiful woman, wants to marry her. Father tries to persuade him uh, to, to marry somebody of his own people, doesn't know that God is at work in it to start this destiny. And along the way to Timnath, a young lion comes out against him. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And he takes that young lion like he would a little kid or a goat and, and destroys him with his bare hands. Comes back later and finds bees that have made a honeycomb. And there's honey in the carcass of that dead lion and goes down to the wedding ceremony and gives the riddle. You, you with me? And tells them, if you can answer the riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. And of course, they, what he called, Edith don't like me to say this, but this is what the Bible says. He looked at him and said, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, 
Some of you look at me and some of you have never read that before. It's exactly what he said. If you hadn't plowed my heifer, <laughs> you wouldn't have understood the riddle, but because they plowed with this heifer, she got the riddle and told, and now he has to take the, so he goes down to Ascalon. And he takes 30 of the Philistines, destroys them with his bare hands, takes the 30 garments, gives to pay the riddle. But in that, God is starting his destiny to defeat the enemy and to deliver God's people. And you know the story. When he comes back, they've destroyed his home and his wife. And so he takes 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a firebrand between their tails, sets the standing cornfields of the enemy on fire. And when they come out against them without a weapon in his hands, he smites them hip and thigh. He's fulfilling his destiny. Later goes up to to Gaza, and they lay a trap for him. Oh, but at the end of the midnight, he comes out, takes the gates of the city. Now, you understand the gates of the city means the city's power and governmental authority. And he puts them upon his shoulder. He conquers them, takes them all the way back to the territory of Judah. And now the Philistines come as an army, and the men of Judah are going to deliver him into their hands, and they bind him with new ropes. But the moment he stands up, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him to fulfill his destiny and his purpose, and the ropes are broken like fire touching a flax. And he finds a newly dead donkey's jawbone, and with the jawbone of a donkey, he kills a thousand. You remember? What, what's happening? He's fulfilling the destiny. He's becoming the distinguished deliverer. He judges Israel for 20 years to free them from the power of their enemy. And the devil hates it. We have a real adversary. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's an angel of light seeking to deceive. He's come to steal to snatch away your destiny and your purpose and your dream. He's come to kill your enthusiasm and your consecration and your dedication so that ultimately you will be destroyed, you'll be slayed. There'll be a loss of well-being. You'll run out of fuel. Because if he can get you to run out of fuel, you'll never finish the purpose and the destiny of God. And so the enemy starts to attack Samson. Where? at the source of his dream. All of you are concerned about your weaknesses. That's not where the devil starts. He knows you're aware. If you're not aware of your weakness by now, you're in real trouble. It's not confess your faults one to another night or we'd stop right here. And No, we know our weaknesses. And it's those areas that we put extra guard an extra prayer. And the enemy didn't come at the point of his weakness. He came at the point of his strength because he knows if he can destroy his dedication, if he can stop his consecrated living, the power of the Lord will not be there. And he'll run out of fuel. And he won't finish. And so you know the story. He finds a way to attack him. Now, what's the Nazarite vow? Well, there's three parts to the Nazarite vow. The first one is no strong drink, nothing of the vine. Amen. You can't do any of that. Secondly is you have no contact with dead. 
You can't touch anything. That, he couldn't even go to the funerals of his own family because God had not called him to death but to life. You are a saver of life unto life, not of death unto death. God hasn't called you to dead things. He's called you to life. And so the enemy tries to attack him at drunkenness, at the fruit of the vine, at dead things. And then, of course, the third thing is his hair. It's, it's, it's never been touched. It's in seven locks. Oh, I know what the Bible says about long hair is a reproach to him. I, well, you know what the Nazarite said? I'd rather, I'd rather be a reproach to men in order to be totally consecrated and dedicated to God. And so his hair had never been. So the enemy begins to attack him. Drunkenness. Intoxication. Because when you're intoxicated and drunken, you can't think straight. You can't see straight. You can't talk straight. And you can't walk straight. And where did Samson spend most of his time? Not in the confines of Israel and Judah, but in the tents of the Philistines. And what were they noted for? Drunken debauchery. They haven't even had a god to, to Dacus, the, the god of wine. In fact, the Bible said when Samson went down to Delilah, he went into the valley of Sorek. Do you know what Sorek means in the Hebrew? Wine. And so the enemy begins to come in at that first area of no strong drink. Samson doesn't even see it, but the needle's headed toward E. He's running out of fuel. And where the enemy attacks you from your destiny and your purpose and the anointing of God to be a deliverer and to finish what he's called you to do is he tries to get you drunken and intoxicated. Brother Bob, spiritually, on pleasures. We get inebriated, intoxicated, drunken on the, the pleasures of this life that are temporal. It, you know what the Bible said about Solomon? He loved many strange women. And he cleaved to them in lust. And when he was old, they turned his heart away from God and turned him to idols. He became intoxicated, drunken on pleasure. And most of us spend most of our hours anymore not talking about destiny and purpose and the direction of God. But we talk about everything that is temporal, that's not eternal Games and gold and gifts. And, and we become intoxicated on pleasures. And if it's not pleasure, it's possessions. If I can just get the house, if I can just get the car, if I can just get the HD TV or the 3D, whatever it is, if I can just have a new iPhone, can't operate it anyway, have to call your grandkids to set it up for you. <laughs> but, but if I can just have all these possessions and the needles, and if it's not possessions and pleasure, it's peripheral things, secondary things, unimportant things, non-eternal things, and if it's not that, it's people. What's wrong with David? He sees the beauty and the nakedness of Bathsheba. 
And this man who had a passion, who was a man after the heart of God, now transfers that to a person and he becomes intoxicated, inebriated, drunken with the beauty and the body of Bathsheba. And it's going to cost him a sword over his house and the kingdom being removed from him and his own son rebelling against him because the needles. And that's where we are. And if he can't get you with drunkenness, then the second thing is dead bones. You can't touch anything that's dead. Oh, now I'm a preacher. I've done it. You've done it. I preached on the story of Samson with great joy and and I felt anointing that he went back down the road to Timnath and that lion that he had destroyed with his own hands. There was a, 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 a group of honeybees that had made a comb and he reaches out and he takes the sweetness out of the carcass of that dead lion. And I preach the sweetness of past victories. Oh, don't look at me. Some of you preach that too. Go back to where God gave you the victory and the Spirit of the Lord came upon you and there's sweetness and honey. Really? When he reached out to take the honey, he touched the carcass of the dead lion. You can't live on yesterday's victory. No, everything that is good is not God. Everything that is sweet will not sustain you. And in reaching out to take the honey and the sweetness, it's violated his vow. Every time before, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And without a weapon, just the strength depending totally upon God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he would smite them. He had no weapon until he tam. And when he came down from the hill and saw the the largeness of the enemy, he said, I've got to have a weapon. No, he just needed his anointing, his consecration. That's all he needed. He didn't need any any artificial weaponry. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't yield swords, but they're mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds, bringing every imagination down and every thought and subjection to the mind. But he reached out to take a weapon. And it was a newly dead donkey's jawbone. And when he took that dead bone, the needles move into empty. And the light is beginning to flicker. And you're looking at me. Stay with would you? Because that's what he tries to do to you. You know what the devil does? He dredges up dead bones. And you know what? He he dredges up the deadness of the past. Past defeats. Past situations. He dredges up the painful past that you've endured. And if he can get you to live there, in the deadness of your painful past, You'll never be the distinguished deliverer that God called you to be. The best example in the Old Testament is Joshua came back to Jerusalem to be the high priest to restore worship, offered one sacrifice, and because he didn't have on the garments of the high priest for the next 16 years, there's no sacrificial offering to God. One day Zechariah prophesies and he sees Joshua standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord. 
And the angel of the Lord is going to strip off the garments of Babylonian captivity and arraign with the garments of the high priesthood and his destiny and his purpose and his worship is to be restored. And the Bible said the devil was standing in his right hand to accuse him. Oh, he never stands around you. And you know what he was saying to Joshua? Look at you. You restore worship. You be an instrument of God. You do something significant in the kingdom. You bring people in the present. Look at you. You still have on the same garments from captivity that you had on 16 years ago. You know how the Bible described those garments? They were streaked with excrement. They were streaked with the filth of his captivity. And he's had on the same garments for 16 years. And just about the time you get ready to really be used of God, all of a sudden the devil drags up that dead bone of your painful past and says, you remember what you said? You remember what you did? You remember what happened in your life? There's no way. But about that time the angel of the Lord turns to the devil and says, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord that restores Jerusalem will rebuke you. Is not this a brand that has been plucked from the fire? You, you know what the angel is saying? All the accusations of the devil cannot change God's mind about Joshua. I know where I got him. I got him out of the fires of Babylonian captivity. If he's burned around the edges, it's okay. If there's some things that need to be corrected, I'm about to do that. But I'm going to raise him up like a firebrand. Because nothing you can say can change my mind. Nothing the devil can say about you. And your past can change God's mind about you. He called you. He chose you. He selected you. He anointed you. He birthed within you a destiny and a purpose. And somebody said, why did God wait 16 years to tell Joshua? Somebody said, God didn't wait 16 years to tell him. He waited 16 years to hear him. And I want you to hear it tonight. All your past is canceled. It is far as the east is from the west. God will never remember against you again. It is cast in the sea of forgetfulness. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if he can't destroy you with a painful past, he'll get you with a dead bone of a powerful past. And he'll sit around telling you, it's never going to be as good as it used to be. Never going to see what you used to see. Never going to have what you used to have. That generation is gone. And because that generation is gone, that powerful past is gone. And we're relegated to a second-rate religion and a second-rate manifestation of God. But I want to tell you something. The devil is a liar. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I am the Lord thy God and I change not. And it shall come to pass afterward. In the last days, I'm going to release my spirit upon all flesh, upon sons and daughters and handmaids and servants and young men and old men. And you know what he said in that chapter 2? I'm going to give you the former and the latter reign of my presence and power in one month.
What you think can't happen anymore. He said, I'm going to give you back everything the enemy's taken away from you. I'm going to restore everything that the enemy's tried to strip and to eat away from you. I'm going to give you your hope back. I'm going to give you your faith back. I'm going to give you experience back. I'm going to give you expectation back. I'm going to give you joy back. Everything the enemy thinks he's taken, I'm going to give it back. And I'm going to do it because I'm going to release my spirit on you. I'm not going to sit at the ash heap of what used to be. I want to be a Joshua. You know the first thing, and I got to hear, you know the first thing God said to Joshua? Moses, my servant, is dead. Duh. You think? (laughs) We just spent 30 days weeping and mourning, and God says, Moses, my servant, the past is gone. Let it go. Don't be bound by a powerful past. Let it go. Moses, thank God for him, but he's gone. Oh, but he said, now you therefore arise because as I was with Moses, so shall I also be with you. Not one man will stand before you all the days of your life. Be strong and of a good courage because I haven't changed a bit. Society might change. The church might change. You might change. But God is unchanging. And what He did, He will do. And what He is doing, He will do in the future. He was and is and is to come. And I'm not going to be bound by a painful past. And I'm not going to be short-circuited by a powerful past. All of a sudden, needles move. And so the enemy tries one more time. Now it's not drunkenness or dead bones. It's Delilah's. It's the decoys of the devil. And he goes down to the valley of wine. And he finds Delilah. And he puts his head in her lap. Dumb. And she's already in covenant with the Philistines. Find the source of his strength. And we'll reward you. The decoy of the devil is to stop your destiny fulfilling the purpose of God no matter how beautiful she is. No matter how luscious she is. No matter how inviting she is. No matter how much flattery she gives. Okay. You haven't read this story in a long time, have you? And she says, if you love me, oh, Lord, how dumb do you have to be? If you love me, you tell me everything. Isn't that about the oldest line in the whole book? Notice how the needle's moving. Because he begins to toy with his destiny. And he says, if you would take seven green dried vines and bind me with them, I'd be just like any other man. She does. Wakes him. Your enemy is upon you. Breaks them. Puts his head in her lap. This has got a big, strong, dumb ox or what? You didn't tell me your heart. I'm broken. You don't really love me. It's a decoy. Wake up. The needle's moving. Well, I tell you what. 
if you'd bind me with new ropes. Your enemy is upon you. Breaks them. Puts his head in her lap. Our heart is not together. Tell me if you would take, now notice how the needle's moving, the seven locks of my hair, and weave them in a weaver's beam. I'd be like any other man. She does. Puts the pin in it. Locks his hair in the weaver's beam. Your enemy is upon you. He shakes himself, picks it up, and marches out and puts his head in her lap. Because he's getting something there that he's not getting out of his relationship with God. You're getting something from the decoy that you're not getting from the divine. The Bible said she continued until she vexed him. And the word in the Hebrew is that she tortured him and flayed him and skinned him alive with her words. To the point he finally tells her he can't see out of his peripheral vision that the needle is on E and the light's flashing. And he says, I'm a Nazarite from my mother's womb. And if you shave my head, I'll be like any other man. He sleeps, she shaves. Samson, this is your destiny. Your whole purpose is to deliver the people from the Philistines. They're here. And he shook himself and went out as before. And he did not know the Spirit of the Lord was gone. And he was out of fuel. Friend, he went through the motions, but there was no movement. He went through the form, but there was no power. He had the shadow, but he had no substance. He had a ritual, but he had no reality. There was something physical that he did, some movement that he made that reminded him of the Holy Spirit and he goes through the motions. But there's nothing left in the tank. Friend, we come in every Sunday morning to sameness. Lady with a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, perfect attendance in the synagogue. 18 years she came to the synagogue. 18 years of perfect attendance, Sunday school pins up one side of her robe and down the other. 18 years of the same synagogue, the same service, the same sermons, the same prayers, the same song, the same shout, but nothing worse when she left. And we come into our services and we have sameness, the same structure. Oh, I'm... I'm sorry. No, I'm not because he said to preach it. The same structure, the same song. You don't need a book. You do it by rote, but the words don't mean anything. The same sermons, 
the same prayers. And when people leave, they're the same. Whose lap is your head in? What are you willing to give for your destiny? What are you willing to change for the transforming power of God in your life? Is what you're living for worth Jesus dying for? Because the Lord said for me to tell you, there's some of you sitting here tonight birthed in destiny and purpose. Know what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is and the needle is moving toward E and the warning light's flickering and you're about to put your head in that lap, that decoy one time too many and you're about to give up your destiny for 30 seconds of pleasure. You know the results of running out of fuel? They put out his eyes. Blinded. No perception, no vision, no discernment. Bound. Brass fetters. You know how I can tell when people are close to running out of fuel? They can't throw off what the devil throws on what they used to break in prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit has them tethered and shackled and hobbled by sickness and sorrow and sin and they can't throw off their bonds. Brass fetters. Not only blind and bound, but burdened. He's grinding out meal in the house and the temple of Dagon that he was supposed to destroy. Burdens that you can't bear tasks that you can't fulfill, a sense of tiredness, oh, a sense of weight on the church, a sense of weight in the pastor's heart to where it's hard to get up, hard to go to, hard to pray, hard, burdened, blind, bound, burdened, but most of all, bruised. You know what the Bible said they did? They brought him out to make sport of him. You know what that means? They mocked him. They laughed at him. They criticized him. They scorned him. Distinguished deliverer. <laughs> you haven't lived up to your name. Distinguished deliverer. You're going to pull down the strongholds of the devil. You're blind. You're bound. You're burdened. Okay, I'm, I'm just preaching. To, I'm preaching to me. That's all right. But that's not the end of the story. For the angel said, He will be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. But his mama said, <laughs> He's going to finish like he started. He's not going to run out of fuel. He, there may be some detours and delays and there may be some dead bones and drunkenness and Delilahs along the way, but I got news for you. He is a distinguished deliverer conceived by the power of God. And before he dies, he's going to finish the journey with fuel in the tank. And the Bible said he recognized his own condition. That's where we start. 
And then he repented. And he said, oh, Lord, I pray thee, strengthen me. I pray thee, oh, Lord, make me strong. <laughs> and he not only repented, but he remembered the prophetic utterance of his mother that he's going to end in the power of a Nazarite. He's going to end with the power of God. And he not only recognized and remembered and repented, but he renewed his vows. For the Bible said, while he was grinding meal, howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again. And he's not only renewed, but now he's restored because he stands out in that temple. And he says, oh Lord, one more time is all I ask. One more time let that same anointing. One more time let the power of God fall upon me. And he moved to the pillars and with all of his might he brings down the house of Dagon and the Philistines. And what did it say? And he killed more at the end <laughs> than he did in all the beginning. In all the rest of his life he did more. You, you know what Joel said? Afterward at the last days, right now, when you think it's all over, you're going to be anointed of the Holy Ghost more now than you've ever been. There's going to be more people saved now. There's going to be more people sanctified now. There's going to be more people spirit-filled now. There's going to be more healings now. There's going to be more manifestations now. Because we're going to finish like we started. I close. Because you know what the Lord said? Isaiah 42. <laughs> Bruised reed, I will not break. We don't know what that means, but they did. Because what they would do is go down to the creek and they'd cut down reeds and they'd hollow them out and put holes in them. And they'd use them to sing the songs of Zavid and Zion, the melodious praises to God. But reeds are fragile. And when they bumped it, it would knock it off key. And instead of the melody, it became melancholy. And they would take that reed, and they're so plentiful, they'd break it and throw it away when they lost their song. But the Lord said, you may be bruised a little bit. The journey may not, <laughs> the journey may not have gone just like you think it's going to go. And along the way, your melody of praise may have turned to melancholy sadness, but a bruised reed, I will not break you and throw you away. I'll give you your song back. I'll give you your joy back. Weeping may endure for a season, but joy is coming in the morning. And a smoking flax. Then have wood. So raise the flax plant. And they used it to heat their homes and cook their food. And it was so plentiful when the fire burned low and there was not much of an ember left and just a trail of smoke, they had thrown it away. But he said, a, a bruised reed I'll not break. And a smoking flax... I will not quench. And no matter how low the wick is burned, there may only be a, a, a barely burning wick left. But the Bible says he'll stir up the gift of God that is within you. He'll fan in the flame the fire of God. He'll restore the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And where there was an ember, there'll come a bonfire of his power again. And you'll finish like you started. And I close with Acts. Five years after the day of Pentecost. Now they're threatened. Don't teach or preach. And the needles get low. The Bible said when they let them go, they went to the upper room, shut the door. <laughs> and they begin to pray. And they said, Oh God, grant unto us your servants 
that with boldness we might proclaim your word. And we ask that with healings and signs and wonders and miracles, you would begin to manifest yourself to this generation in the name of your holy child, Jesus. And the Bible said when they prayed, the place was shaken. And they were filled again with the Holy Ghost. And they continued for 60 years. And you might think the church is going to go out with a whimper. But I got news for you. I have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go out as we came in. And I know how we came in. We came in in an upper room with the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues as of fire and demonstrations and works and manifestations of God. And God says it's going to be more in the end. You're going to do more at the end than you ever did at the beginning because I'm going to renew the fuel of the Holy Spirit in your life. Stand with me. Hallelujah. When you've had the fuel and the destiny conceived in you and there's been dead bones and drunkenness and Delilah's and the fuel's running out. When the Lord gives it back, you'll die for it the second time. You won't let it go the second time. No, no dead bone, no Delilah. Oh, hallelujah. Because I'm going to finish like I started.